Hello, and welcome to Steady State Podcast. We are really interested in backstories, the experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. By sharing these stories about the humanity of rowing, we're revealing a narrative about rowing culture that celebrates real life experience from launch to coxie at every level. Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode with Jasper Liu. From walk-on at the University of Pennsylvania to U.S. senior national team member, Jasper has worked hard on and off the water to learn about all aspects of our sport. Together with his lightweight doubles partner, Zach Heese, he will represent the U.S. at the World Rowing Championships this September with a focus on Paris 2024. Jasper also founded rowingdojo.com to share the most useful information he's picked up from some of the best coaches in the country. If you missed it or any of our episodes, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast or ask your smart speaker to play Steady State Podcast. This episode is made possible in part by Concept2 and Lake Washington Rowing Club. Become a sponsor for as little as $65 at steadystatenetwork.com slash sponsors. Hey, Tara, did you know that Concept2's new version of the Erg Data app lets you set up workouts, including the Concept2 workout of the day, right from the app? Yeah, you can customize your display, connect your Apple Watch, and more. Download Erg Data today in your app store. Yeah, I actually love Erg Data. I use it all the time. Seriously? I haven't even tried it. <gasps> but then I also don't Erg. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that Concept2 made our custom oars for Seize the Oar for our adaptive rowers, and oh. we love them. So what is custom about these oars? So when you row arms and shoulders or trunk and arms, you can't have crossover and sculling oars. You have to have a space in between, and so they're custom lengths. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly the inboards are custom. So the outboards are the same as everybody else, but the inboards are much shorter. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that totally got me thinking about this thing that I read once that blew my mind, which was a long, long time ago. Stroke seat. It was not uncommon for stroke seat to have a shorter oar. I've read this. I've read this. I guess to get you through the water faster. Maybe everybody's rushing you. Or everybody's rushing. Yeah. We'll have to do a little bit more research on this one. We do have one other uh, corporate sponsor we're really excited to tell you about, and that's Lake Washington Rowing Club. They came on board recently, and for our folks out west, we want you to know that Lake Washington Rowing Club is full steam ahead, organizing the 43rd head of Lake Regatta. Yeah, 43 years of one regatta is super impressive. It's basically the head of the Charles of the West. Um, I live out west, and I've rowed in this event 10 times, maybe more. And it's just one of the most fun things because you get to go through the Motley Cut, which is the stadium, which is like rowing into a stadium. It's really fun. I get chills just thinking about it. Yeah. So it's going to happen Sunday, September 6th, which is its usual date, that first Sunday in November. But it's the last big head race of the season. Lake Washington Rowing Club wants to see you there. Visit headofthelake.org for registration information. And also, side note, this, red, this particular regatta is really well known for the best swag. Oh. Best swag. So they they actually sell out of it ahead of time. Oh, I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah, it's really good. 
This week, we're revisiting a conversation we had in 2021 with Tom Rooks, the director of rowing at Williamsburg Boat Club in Williamsburg, Virginia. I remember telling you about meeting Tom a couple years before we got the chance to interview him. Um, I had the opportunity to set up as a vendor at a couple of their regattas in Williamsburg and got to talking to Tom. And in terms of people I've met who like to talk about rowing, like you and Tom top the list. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I remember you telling me about him and you were just so excited about him. And I was like, who is this guy? Like, is yeah. this, who is this guy? Okay. So when we got to finally interview him, I caught the bug as well. Not only was he really fun to talk to, and of course you and I love talking about rowing and geeking out about rowing, but he's so authentic. Yeah. And he has this mantra that he calls the fun first mantra, teaching his juniors to be better humans at the boathouse, away from the boathouse, at their families, at school, all of the above. He was honestly one of my favorite guests. And I think we put him down as one of our favorites. Mm -hmm. He got to share his philosophies about coaching, being well-rounded, saving lives, because he's a real safety guy. He mm -hmm. really believes in a, a good safety plan and has some great ideas about that. And also just finding your calling. Yeah. And when it comes to safety, you know, a lot of his coaches think about the basics, PFDs, whistles, lights on boats. But Tom actually comes in uh, from a background in big time safety, like making sure that mariners are safe on oceans. And he has brought that now to U.S. Rowing. Since we interviewed him, he's been hired by U.S. Rowing as its health and well-being associate. And that title to me actually feels a little wishy-washy for the stuff he actually does. Health yeah. and well-being makes it sound like he's making sure that it's warm enough at the boathouse, you know, or something like that. Right. But he's actually working with U.S. rowing, with U.S. clubs and regattas across the country to make sure that safety procedures are in place to keep athletes safe. Everything from safety equipment to cooling tents to, to hydration tablets, which are going to be available at U.S. Rowing Masters Nationals this year, which yeah. opens up this big conversation that we've had more than once with a bunch of people in the last few weeks about U.S. Rowing Masters Nationals in Florida and just how hot it's going to be this year. Yeah, it's going to be pretty hot. And, you know, one of the things that we have to rely on on those regattas is that the referees and the umpires are also taking care of themselves. And I'm hoping that the work he's doing is extending to our officials mm -hmm. because there's no backup. You know, there's usually an ambulance park there, maybe a harbor police if you're in a harbor. But, you know, it's really up to the referees to be able to pull you out of the water or at least execute some sort of strategy. Um, and when people are really hot and overheated, it's often kind of a silent um, effect that it has on people. You're not mm -hmm. seeing people openly like flailing around or anything like that. Like heat exhaustion and heat stroke can be very virulent and, and silent. So you have right. to really be looking out for each other. So I'm hoping mm -hmm. at Masters Nationals, everyone stays safe, um, but that also everyone is looking out for each other, especially for the folks who aren't from hot climates. That's a big, big shift. And I know there's some West Coast clubs coming um, who are used to some hot temperatures, but Pacific Northwest clubs, no way. Yeah. No way. We are not, we are shade plants. So <laughs> well, hopefully, 
hopefully he's also uh, working with umpires and referees and making sure those safety plans are in place. So I'm excited. Yeah. Well, I got the chance to talk to Tom um, just yesterday, actually, and he assured me this is straight from the mouth of the guy that is in charge of safety for U.S. rowing, that he wholeheartedly believes that Sarasota is actually one of the best places to race. We know that it's hot, but he talked to me at length about all the safety protocols in place that you're not going to find at basically any other venue. So we can have the debate about whether or not nationals should be in Sarasota, Florida, but straight from the horse's mouth, he honestly believes this is going to be a super safe regatta with many, many safety procedures put in place to make sure that the athletes are safe. Obviously, athletes themselves need to make sure that they're staying hydrated, getting in the shade as much as possible, and taking care of themselves while they're off the water. So with all sure. that said, we yes. wanted to revisit our episode with Tom. If you missed it or just want a fresh dose of some great humor and passion for rowing and coaching, here is a special re-release of Tom Rooks, The Fun First Coach, and so much more. We're Rachel Friedman. And Tara Morgan. And this is Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Hi, my name is Tom Rooks. I'm the director of rowing at Williamsburg Boat Club, which basically means I coach a lot. I've been involved in sport rowing for coming up on 30 years. Love what I do and probably won't ever stop. So how's your rowing week going? This is probably my favorite week of every season. So the regattas are done. There are no more lineups that anyone's, you know, there's no particular need to accomplish any particular task. And so now we can just go back to being a team. So we, we row, you know, we intermix the crews. We go into our boat lineups and types of boats we don't normally row. And we just really try to maximize the camaraderie of this week. So you finished up your season then. You you finished up your season with head of the Aquacon in Virginia this past weekend, right? Yep, we sure did. How'd it go? It was good. I mean, I it's uh we have this this thing where it's uh, we truly don't focus on the results as much as the process. So, like we had a boat win in a in a category, and they were dissatisfied because they knew they hadn't rode their best. And then we had a boat that didn't place as well. As they could have, but they were pretty joyful because the they knew it was a fast row. So that's kind of, it's you know I I just hope the results match the effort they put in. In some cases they did, in some cases we have some lessons to learn to move forward with. And that starts from the top, right? Like when you're coaching Scholastic, especially their version of outcomes in their entire lives is grades, right? That's kind of the big part of their lives is grades or wins, losses. You know, if they're on a sports team or whatever. And for kids, I would imagine that when they come into your boathouse, how do they know what your philosophy is? Well, I'm, I'm a fairly talkative person and our, our team culture on day one, before they ever come to a recruiting event, we talk about how the culture is first. The, the sacred thing at our club that doesn't get to be uh, negotiable is how we treat each other. And no kid gets to touch an oar until we've kind of had that conversation on, on a personal and uh, more, you know, group level. We, we, we talk about our culture a lot because it's the one thing that has to endure above all. So what's special? Can... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Rachel. I was going to say, how do you think that compares to other sports and other coaches that maybe some of these student athletes have come across? Well, I, I think... I can't speak to everything, but I can just use the example of my earlier coaching in the 90s when I thought it was really important to win a medal. 
And, and I still think it's important to be competitive. I, I mean, why else, you know, show up to the race? But I realized when I came back to the sport that the enduring memories weren't the race results. It was the sound of the breathing of the people I rode with. It was the, the water on the hole. It was the, the part I couldn't get away from that still like, you know, is in the back of my dreams every night is, is that part. It's never really been what our time was rowing. The beauty of being a water sport is we have to adapt and the times I think are almost irrelevant if we do it right. What, what's relevant is how we did it, who we did it with, you know, what, what, how do we take care of each other? That that's the stuff that endures. So I think the beauty of a water sport is it gets you out of setting the treadmill to a certain number and measuring your life based on what the result is. I know we want to talk about how your rowing origin story started, but to just riff off of that one more uh, with another question is how do you know that you've done a good job? How do you know you've succeeded? Uh, do you have a story about a student who's come back to you or an experience at a regatta? Like, how do you know that oh, that, that has worked? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll tell you as quickly as I can, the two best accomplishments I've ever had as a coach. I was coaching a team in Northern Virginia that had a lot of kids that were pretty well to do. And we had one kind of kid on the team that, you know, liked his trench coats and liked to row in jean shorts and thick glasses. And one day the guys came to me and said, Hey, you know, coach, we think that kid is weak. We don't think he pulls hard. We think he smells. And by the way, we happen to have this really cool friend in the two V that we think would make the boat row better. So I said, sure, why not nine ergs and send them to 1500 meters and we'll find out. And um, the kid that they, had kind of overlooked uh came in second to a guy who would end up rowing the olympics uh, down the road wow. yeah and um after he came in second that guy came to me and said coach can we talk to him and i said are, you know are we good and they're like oh we're good and the team captain lined them up single file to apologize one by one wow wow so this kid was yeah. feeling marginalized he was already yeah. feeling like he, he wasn't welcome he, he wasn't one of the you know supposed cool kids and yeah. I, I think about that lesson and what those kids learned that day that like there were things their dad couldn't buy them there are things that like you can't be given and then I think about the other young man learning there are things you can earn that no one can take away mm-hmm. and I'd say that's probably my proudest moment as a coach was actually that day I mean I've, I've coached boats that have won some pretty major events and gone on to do you know great athletic things but I would say that and then the second one happened here at Williamsburg a couple of years into it I had a sophomore who had made the varsity eight and the varsity eight won a regional or little local championship race 18 teams in our local region and so they'd won the varsity eight handily and his mom came to me afterwards and said you got to go I, I won't use his name but you got to go find my son he's talking about quitting the team he's in the woods yelling and and frustrated and says he's quitting and this is just after he'd won a big race so I find him and he's sure enough is distraught I mean that's just the best way I can put it and I said what's going on buddy he goes coach I don't belong here I think I'm gonna I'm gonna hang it up I, I don't belong here and I said what do you mean you don't belong here you know you just won big race biggest boat hardest to get into and he said yeah but when when we were walking the boat to the slings afterwards I noticed I was the only one that wasn't limping hmm. and I don't think I rode hard enough to deserve to row with this team <clears throat> Yeah, it is a culture of suffering. You know, it really is. And that's, I think that we're getting away from that. I think as we look, Rachel and I talk a lot about the whole athlete and looking at the kid uh, or the master's rower, especially um, just 
what's going on in their lives. Like who are they as people? And if you make eye contact with every rower that comes into your boathouse and say, hello, welcome. I'm glad you came today. Thank you for coming today. Um, it makes such a huge difference because a lot of these kids are just kind of floating through and COVID especially, uh, really disenfranchised a lot of people and put a lot of people out into the spinning out, you know, into the ether, but, um, that's great. Um, so yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, so what's your rowing origin story? How'd you find rowing? So I, I, it's kind of awkward because it might, my grandfather was the president of senior rowing club for a long time. And he had my father learn to row with Jim Storm, who'd won an Olympic silver medal in, in San Diego. But neither of those men ever encouraged me to row in any particular way. I lived with my mom growing up and I basically got sick of basketball culture. I'd, I'd been through some pretty hard physical abuse um, on my high school basketball team. And to, to make it very simple, I was looking for another option and all the coolest girls I knew who, who I, all the, all the girls that liked the Smiths and the Cure that I liked, uh, all the, all the girls that liked the bands I liked happened to be rowing. So <laughs> I thought, Hmm, this might be worth a go. Um, I could barely afford it. It was, you know, I was a mess, but by the third practice, I felt something pass over. I was being pushed ahead by something bigger than me. And, uh, I still feel that way every time I get in the boat. Um, I, I just, I've been a competitive triathlete. I've been a cyclist, but I, I can't get rid of that feeling. So I started rowing my senior year. Um, I had a wonderful coach who I didn't know what a meritocracy was and didn't understand that it could exist until Rick Gotham coached me. And um, he, if you put in the work, you got the reward. End of story. Nothing else mattered. Didn't matter. Didn't matter what you you know, look like what your pedigree was. And uh, so first time in my young life, you know, as a teenager who was kind of a punk rock kid, I was always looking for something I could believe in. And uh, he taught me I could believe in myself if I was willing to suffer a bit, you know. And and actually, I would say I've, I've, I've thanked the brothers, the Dresdegacher brothers for this. The erg I taught was the first thing I ever found in my life that was fair. It didn't know what brand of shoes I had on. It didn't know. All it knew is whether or not I, I could suffer. And, um, so weird, weird to say I came to the sport through the York, but, um, it's like I rode for a year at Boone, Boone high school in Orlando, Florida. The day I graduated, uh, coach kind of liked my intensity. Um, I'm a pretty passionate guy and I wear it pretty openly. So he hired me to be the coach, uh, to be an assistant coach the day I graduated high school. <laughs> and, um, so probably not the best move to have a 17 year old guy coaching the novice women at his high school, but, um, that's what I did. Um, how'd that go? Yeah, well, they rode fast and, um, you know, they rode fast. I enjoyed it, but it became quickly clear that I was, I was the opposite of the, my career later would be personified being, being the opposite of my coaching. I lost an engine off the back of the launch. I ran a John boat and cracked the gunnel of a boat that had been donated in front of the donors the first day it was rowed. Oh, no. um, I, I did every possible wrong thing, except that I did probably get some people to love rowing. So I guess it was a win sort of. And from there, I went to row for UCF. And um, but to be honest with you, I was not. I tried being a lightweight. I'm six foot four and a half. Um, it was not a healthy journey. So after a year, I walked away with a future wife. And uh, that was, that was, I think, a pretty smashing success. 
we celebrate our 25th anniversary here in a couple months. Congrats. So, Your yeah. wife is, is Michelle. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. Is she she's, a rowing widow or is she also a rower? No, she it's quite the opposite. She's the reason I have to coach. Um, so when we came here, she said, hey, you have nights off for the first time in 22 years. Let's get back into rowing, right? And so we come to a practice and there wasn't a coach and the team was pretty informal. So after practice, I had thought, yay, I'm getting back into rowing. I can't wait. You know, I still have hard strokes to take. She says to me, well, you know, they don't have a coach and I'm not going to stop rowing. So you have to start coaching. <laughs> and so I started coaching. She's spoken. <laughs> oh yeah. She's, she's a lightweight, but man, she, uh, she's a beast. I mean, my wife is amazing. Uh, her she favorite a- exercise in college used to be having me jump on her back so she could do sets of 10 squats. Nice. She's, so- she's five, four and weighs like a biscuit with some jelly. And, uh, nice, you know, nice. I'm, 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 I'm not that small. I, I outweigh about over 100 pounds, and she likes to squat me. You know, <laughs> nice. Is she a bow seat or a stroke seat? She's a stroke seat. Yeah, she's a born, she's yeah. a born stroke seat. Never any boat she's in, she ends up gravitating towards stroke because she's a, a, a stoic, <laughs> stoic, stoic person. Every nice. stroke is the same. First stroke of a first stroke of the day, the last one with her is passion all the way. Yeah. Wow. Now you've raised a couple of rowers too. Right? Oh, yeah. Son and yeah, yeah. My, my daughter's a junior at Washington College. Um, and she is, uh, she's doing great there. That has been, we're very lucky. Every ounce of my daughter's college academic and rowing experience has been exactly what we would have dreamt of if we could, you know, if we could design it, it would be what she's experiencing. She's had a great time and great coaching staff there. And, um, and then my son is a senior and he is, I'm, I'm really proud. He was in the quad that won Aquaquam this weekend. So it's kind of really cool that my son, his senior year, wanted a big regatta that I haven't coached a crew that won at since like 98 or something. So it was kind of a poetic, you know, full circle. He almost quit the sport last year. Um, like many teenagers, he's, he's exploring different things. He's the lead singer in a rock band and they're very busy, a lot of gigs and um, rowing isn't, sometimes quite as cool as being in a psychedelic rock band yeah um so he's still i think that's an interesting conversation too truthfully not one i think i've really had with tara or any of our guests but like when um someone's personality is i don't want to say split but oftentimes we think of athletes and we think of creatives right and sometimes we don't think that the two come together but I think I'm one of those people, a creative and an athlete. And it sounds like your son is in that same boat. And, uh, but he's at that phase in his life where which one takes precedence. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult. We talked, I talked to the kids. I coach a lot about how most interesting people in my life very rarely fall into being either or, or mm-hmm. they're almost always. And, mm-hmm. and um, I'm fascinated by people who are this and that, or do this and that. And, I have found that rowing has really helped my son depressure his future music career because at the end of the day, for a couple hours a day, he can come out and focus on something, be in his body, be with his teammates and not be worried about the next song they're writing or the next gig. And it's, it's given him more balance and resilience because not everything in his life is in one basket. So I, I, I try to encourage our kids. And this is part of, probably why I love coaching a club versus my earlier days coaching scholastic teams on the club, hey, if you are in the marching band and the choir and you're a thespian and you want to come to practice and row once a week, good on you. Better better you row than you don't. 
right? I and love so that. We want, we want kids that are, you know, pursuing their, their passion. Um, I don't want to make a kid into a singular, you know, entity, a, a cog in some wheel generated to win something. I mean, that, they won't endure. That won't help their journey. Yeah, I've heard that from uh, conversations I've been having with Green Lake crew here in Seattle that, you know, making room for kids who do a lot of different things. And, you know, I know uh, is really important. It makes them well-rounded. It's like, it's like the argument for multi-sport athletes as children, you know, like that I'm playing lots of different sports. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, having a team and having accountability and being part of marching band and having accountability. Those are all like things that they have to schedule and things they have to put in Excel at. And um, it's just a really positive way of looking at it. I think there are too many rowing clubs in the, the high school level that are so demanding. Like if you don't show up five days a week at you know three hours a day, you can't row or you can't compete or you can't be viable for one of the boats or something. Yeah. And I think that's the way, that's the future of inclusion in these junior programs, because I think there's some kids who are marginalized because they can't make that commitment either financially or just time-wise um, and giving options to kids uh, so that they can still be part of the sport is really the path to inclusion. Like, I think that's it's something that we're talking a lot about. Um, how do we really truly make the sport available and not so exclusive? And I don't think people really associate that a five day a week, four hour a day practice really is exclusive. I mean, the kids are oh. wasted when they're done after being at school all day, you know, it's incredibly, it's incredibly, our sport finds itself being incredibly exclusive despite a lot of wishes and hopes to, to not be. And I've been, and, and there's something great about, you know, I had a 12 year break in my rowing journey because of my military career and it allowed me to kind of, see the bigger picture when I came back to rowing, at least as far as I view things of every, every stroke is valid, right? So whether or not your future is to be um, a casual person who enjoys sculling and will stop and watch the birds fly over and, and, mm -hmm. and, and learn to name the trees, that, that stroke is every bit as valid as the A final of a major regatta when you're 20 or whatever. Um, so, for me, like the right athletes, the super competitive elite athletes, which I've had the pleasure of coaching a few, they, they find themselves right. And that's fine. That is, I'm not judging people who want to do seven day a week rowing training, you know, all in, but why, why not recognize the valid, you know, approach others take. And, and, and I would rather, I talk to the parents about this a lot and I say, look, success for me is when I'm 80 something and I'm sipping my macchiato and my old rowing blazer. And I see your 40 odd year old daughter at the boathouse that she's satisfied with who she is, that maybe she's not an antidepressants. Maybe she's proud of her, her physique, her physique, her, you know, that's confident. And, and uh, if we create that, I'll, I'll take a hundred of those for every, you know, person that gets a scholarship somewhere. I, I, there's a bigger thing we can accomplish if we do it right um, mm -hmm. than what you do as an undergrad. City Seat Podcast is made possible with listener support. Today, we're sending a big thank you to our Patreon crew members, Bobby, Lenore, Jill, Arthur, Claire, Kim, Dave, Nick, Lisa, Kelly, Jen, and Patricia. They're all really important to us. Do you want to join our lineup? 
Find out more about our Patreon support levels and benefits at patreon.com slash steady state network. In two, we're back with Tom Rooks. That's one, two. To riff on that, you know, this notion of you know, winning isn't everything. And I think that we can take that from scholastics straight up through college and the master's levels. And I'm going to guess that a whole lot of people that listen to our podcast may not win gold medals at every event that they go to. And there are so many reasons that we all get up every morning and go to the boathouse. And everyone has a different story and everyone's fighting for something different. Uh, and everyone has different goals in mind. And uh, I love this notion that this is what you bring to your young athletes, teaching them that what they want can be enough. Uh, I think that's really important. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. I, I, um, one of the great questions that I read a lot of coaches get asked and top athletes is, is it that you love winning or hate losing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And both can drive you to accomplish amazing things, right? That kind of chip on your shoulder or that just exuberance of a victory. But I, for me personally, and again, there's everybody's approach is valid. Um, I, it's neither one of those for me. It's about loving the process because that I can control, right? So if, if my success is defined by whatever my next competition is, and I tell the kids this all the time, um, then I guess you're only allowed to be happy if you win an Olympic gold medal and then for about a half hour before the next competitor goes to the gym. Um, That's a pretty unhealthy, in my mind, that's an unhealthy way to approach your life because if, if winning is it, then you can only be happy when you win the world championship for till the next day when everybody goes back to the erg room. Yeah. And we've, We've heard so much of Olympians experiencing massive depressions um, and really feeling very uh, discombobulated and lost uh, after they come back from those kinds of things. So I was curious, like when you, and what's a quintessential, like how would someone describe you on the, at a practice in the launch? Like what's a quintessential sort of couple of things you would you would do like what's a favorite workout or what's a way that you really encourage people or do you have a favorite part of the stroke that you just love to coach or oh man I just watch the corners um for me it's the corners right it's um it's it's the it's uh I'm passionate about efficiency so I've been through some different iterations of how we row you know when I was in the you know early 90s that we were all that wop sound and we have to stretch really far and lay back really far. And then now we're all doing this pause drill, every stroke. Um, I just want you to row in a way that's healthy and looks normal. And usually if the corners look good, the rest will be okay. Um, so we, we spend a lot of time worrying about entries and exits and then the rest of it kind of comes together. Um, particular workout for me though, honestly, it's, it's a, I, I developed and I used to teach a leadership school in the, in the Coast Guard. And one of the things we talked about was developing one voice, um, having one authentic voice. That way you don't have to have different personas. And I think if somebody was to talk about a practice with me, it would be that at some point I might be singing you Hamilton songs because I'm so in love with the work you're doing. And at some point I might cry because it was the most beautiful sunset as we were out there together and I could see how hard you worked. And if you do the wrong thing, anyone will tell you if you do the wrong thing as far as how you treat someone at our boathouse my passion goes to a a more dark side of the force 
Um, so it's, it's all of those things can happen in the space of an hour um, because they're all true. Yeah, it's a really hard on your sleeve. Yeah, I can't. I, I just don't know how I, I gave up trying to be demure. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm where I'm at and that's, that's, that's what I got. I think that's really fantastic. And it gets me thinking um, about, but generally coaches and emotions. Um, I've been in a place where as a woman who's a coach, um, I've been labeled certain not so nice things because I wear my heart on my sleeve. And I think it's different for men. Um, I might be putting you on the spot here, but it's just kind of got me thinking about that where if I had a coach like you who wore all of his emotions on his sleeve, I'd really appreciate that. And I think when women coaches do, it starts to get a little uh, dicey. I think that coaches and rower, their rowers and uh, folks who are paying attention to those coaches might have things to say about female coaches who are emotional. I'm putting that in quotes. Yeah. Um, so, so I have had some of our women coaches express not, not unfairness as of right, but like that they notice people respond to me one way and maybe not to them the same way. And I, I have the privilege of working with, working for, and helping raise some amazing uh, women leaders in the Coast Guard and powerful, strong, confident, respected people. And what I would say is I don't know how to fix the world, but if you are being true to yourself, if you're using your authentic voice, if you're whatever that is, if that's passionate, if it's not, if it's dis- detached a bit, if you're being true to yourself, you won't have any regrets, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and at least you will have the dignity of knowing you were being honest, right? And then people trust that. People know when they're not getting a show. And so even if you're not everybody's cup of tea as a coach, as long as you're being true to yourself and really speaking with your voice, you have their trust and you won't have regrets. But the rest of it, I can't control. I'm sure some people think I'm goofy and kooky and, and that's fine with me. I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'll be here. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely that type of coach. I would, and, and I think we're at a point in the rowing community where I'm hoping that coaches like us who, are, who have a sense of humor, who are passionate, who speak our minds, who are very authentic, are not atypical. Mm-hmm. I've come from boathouses where my style, like they would say I had a certain coaching style you know, and it's like, well, I want people to enjoy the sport. I want them to go away feeling fulfilled and feeling challenged and feeling uh, connected to yeah. to me, to the sport, to each other, to the water, to nature, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you characterize maybe inadvertently or directly your role in mentoring new coaches and pe- coaches coming behind you? Yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting because we kind of have, in my experience in Williamsburg, because we're not in a major city, we attract one of two types of coaches, either the soon to be retired or retired person who loves the team, loves the sport, wants to help out, in which case I'm doing more mentoring on the like, here's how you get a, a reluctant engine to work in a coaching launch. I mean, literally like teaching like the just very specific the journey of a season as far as training, like what point should we be doing? What kind of stroke rates with which level of rower? But then more importantly, I think is I get a lot of uh, grad student, you know, just post-college 
people who love rowing or, you know, whatever. And I feel like my job with them is to help them um, make the transition to like seeing a broader picture in the sport, right? Like whatever your coach said, whatever their technique focus was or whatever your college team's goals were is not the whole picture. And so a lot of times it's teaching them how to keep their decisions, filter their decisions through the culture, through the process. And, 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 you know, that way, once they learn, well, here's why I put this person in this boat, or here's why we're putting that lineup in this weekend. And if I make them defend that a little bit, not, not, you know, like, uh, not some Socratic method, but just what got you to that decision. If, if, if they can stand by it, then they'll never have a hard time explaining it to the athlete or the parent or whoever. So I, I spent a lot of time helping sort of young adults, if that's a, I think that's a polite phrase. I don't mean that as a pejorative, but um, helping just post-college folks like see themselves as leaders, but without just being an echo, whatever coaches' voices in their head, you know, finding their voice. That's really the thing. And I, and I tell them right away, please don't have my voice. Please don't, please do not, please do not be me, be you. And let's figure out you and, and how to the, the, get the best out of what you got. Cause that's what the kids will get the most out of is yeah. the, the best version of you, not you trying to echo me or any other coach you've, you know, you appreciate. And Definitely. Yeah. Those first couple of years as a coach it, are super formative and it is really, it is really introspective. You've got to figure out what it is you love about the sport, why you're mm-hmm. coaching and, and learn, like you said, to see a bigger picture. It's not just, okay, I'm putting out this four on the water today. It's how does that fit into the season? How does the season fit into our philosophy here at the club? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Right. And finding the humanity in the sport. I mean, these are real live human beings who are making and putting in a ton of effort and it's a very difficult sport to learn, but it's once you've got the corners, as you said, you know, everything else um, falls into place and and it's just such an interdependent sport it's such a special sport um, no other sport is like this right like there's you form these bonds with people that are so intense that you like you know it, it's mutual suffering that creates you know really close bonds in my life anyway it's like negative experiences draw us way closer than just having a good time at a show and right. the, the the amount of vulnerability I mean that's this we, we have this conversation with the parents a lot and it doesn't sound weird I tell the parents, like, you know, your kids are better than you, right? And like, that was the goal, I hope. So like, be at peace with that, right? Like your kid is somehow expected to have a 4.3, get a perfect SAT score, volunteer at their church group, um, become an Eagle Scout, become an elite athlete. Like the amount of things that we're putting on these kids is, is, you know, I'm amazed that they don't break. And, and you know, as adults, how often do people in our professional lives tell us we suck? Not often. Hopefully most not us, often. Yeah, most of us don't do that. Well, yeah, not what? today. <laughs> that's, that's an entire high school journey. The entire yeah. high school journey is you got an A on the biology exam, but, you know, you did miss these three questions, so next time you should try this, mm-hmm. right? It is your boat took second at this big regatta, and if only you'd found eight more hours to erg a day, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you could be a real athlete. Like, there's this constant even when they're high performing in 20 areas, it's, it's a constant, they're constantly reminded of what they're not. So we, we talk a lot about make, make today, make this piece, make this moment, a conversation about what you can do and, and what you are capable of and not what you're, 
incapable of or not good enough at. And, and today, yeah. for today, yeah. I mean, they're, today. they're just, there's so much going on in their young lives, you know, uh, sure. with these, uh, with the junior athletes, I mean, masters as well, you know, they're sure. working eight hour days and, sure. and wanting to have community and social connection and exercise and fitness and all yeah. of that. Um, you know, back to that whole athlete perspective, you know, here's you today. I see you. Let's get to work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, and we have this as adults, we kind of have the scar tissue to be a little more resilient, right? Like we kind of, we, we've been through enough things a lot of the time to where we don't get overwhelmed as easily, but these kids, you know, it's, it's weird. I, I had the privilege of a career saving lives or trying to save lives. And I got back into coaching because I just love the impact I could have on the kids. Well, here I am in COVID and I've never felt like I was saving more lives at any point in my life than I am now. Um, the kids I'm coaching, it, it's not, you know, it's, it's all in the balance. It's, it's not, I'm not sure it's all going to be okay for a lot of them. And so if we can provide a place, you know, where they can be at ease and, and trusting and comfortable being vulnerable um, without fear and judgment. Like if we can do that, if we can create that. Wow. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's life-saving, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, I've never been as aware of it as I have growing through COVID. Yeah. And you said, Oh, I talked to you recently about the past year, year and a half. And I've been so curious about how programs may do. And it sounded like you had a pretty, successful year and a half or at least you've you know have, you've come into this season in a pretty good place could you tell us a little bit about what was going on in Williamsburg over the last yeah. year and a half yeah I would say Williamsburg is politically about as normal like we're we're about as center as you can get like we're not particularly one way or another so we faced COVID in a pretty moderate kind of way we shut down for a while and then we had very small ways we could kind of sort of start thinking about uh, group things again and so what we did is we we have a lot of good friends we I, I try as hard as I can to be supportive of every team around me I'll move my race whatever I got to do I'll loan you an or whatever so we had a team around here named Mob Jack and Mob Jack loaned us a fleet of like 10 singles mm-hmm. because they were off the water so we basically ran like a movie theater for several months. We just, we were like, look, we got 10 seats. We're going to have four practices a day. Whoever signs up gets to row. Yeah. And so it was the, it was exhausting on the coaching side, but it was the best we could do. Right. And that's all I can ever expect of anyone is do your best. Right. So we, we rode singles all for quite a while. And then when allowed, we just kept um, doing what we could do, whatever we could do to let the kids row in some way and the adults. Um, we did. And what, what I think it helped people realize is I think it answered a lot of people's why. Um, if you didn't know why you rode before and you rode through COVID, you're probably a little more aware of why you row now, like what, what you get out of it, what it, what needs it meets. So our kids on the team now it's, it's, we've always had great kids, but um, I think COVID helped them realize the why. And so now we have a lot less, what I used to call social members, you know, my parent wants me to do a sport. This a sport. This is pretty chill. I'll show up twice a week, right? More of our kids now, I'd say, are just so passionate about rowing because they appreciate what it's doing for them. They they're aware of it now in a way they weren't maybe clear about before. So now I find myself coaching a team that's a little bit smaller. Not 
terribly. Like, I think we had like 52 kids on the roster, 55 kids on the roster this fall, which normally we're about a 75 kid team. So not horrible, but every one of them, every single one of them is leaving a mark on my soul. I mean, yeah, they're, they're great. Right. So I have a question for you, Tom, because you've talked about um, coming back into rowing uh, yeah. a, a few years ago. You you wanted to have your butt in a seat with an oar in the hand, yeah. and then it, your wife was like, "No, you're going to coach." <laughs> Do you get the chance to row these days? I don't know if I've ever asked you that. No, yeah, it's funny. I tried to do it. I tried to row, and I competed in the single a little bit when we started this team, the the youth program here. So the club existed well before I got here, but the youth program I was there sort of from the inception of, and that's when the team went from like 20 people to almost 200 at some points. Um, so I tried and I, and I did, and I do enjoy rowing, but you can't help but be who you are. And the problem is if, if I'm around and say there's a master's eight, right? So the first thing that's going to happen is I'm going to try and be faster than the master's eight. The second thing that's going to happen is I'm going to be looking over at their boat, trying to figure out what I can do to help them row better. Mm, uh, right. You're wearing so, all the hats. Yeah. All so the hats on. So I will turn, I'll turn rowing my single into a coaching session at the drop of a hat, even okay. if it's just coaching myself. Right. So okay. um, what I've done instead, I realized it was unhealthy uh, because I started resenting rowing, like as far as, you know, why aren't you rowing as hard as you can when I don't even get to row, blah, blah, blah. So I've actually become a competitive disc golfer um, as a way disc of like, golf. Yeah, huh. big time, big time. And um, I'm, I'm decently ranked and um, I do it because it puts me outdoors and it lets me practice a very specific sort of a very focused sport without judging myself or without having to be a coach. You know, when I'm out disc golfing, nobody asks me for technique tips or, you know, I don't have to get a, nobody's, no disc golfer's parent emails me. Uh, you know, so I've found that that's been like a really good thing for my mental health is to actually care about a sport besides rowing for myself. Yeah. So yeah. I know a disc golfers usually get into disc golf because they were ultimate Frisbee players. And you and I are very similarly aged and yeah. I played ultimate in college because it was a super cool thing to do <laughs> to like to yeah. be an athlete, but also yeah. like maybe smoke weed on the weekend. So okay. did you play ultimate in? Yeah, I did. I did half of what you're talking about because I, I was didn't doing, actually smoke. I was, yeah, yeah. No, okay. <laughs> I know lots you did. <laughs> no judgments. Yeah. Um, so in the Coast Guard, we would always play at rescue stations, which I was, that's what I did most of my career is running rescue stations, being at rescue stations. We always do team sports on Friday. And what happens with American football is people get hurt and they get bored. And what happens with soccer is the people of skill embarrass everybody else. So totally. for, for like eight years, all of the Coast Guard units that I was at, we would play ultimate Frisbee every Friday. Yeah. Uh, Cause it was a way, cause if you have legs, you can play. Like if you, if you're slightly mobile, you have a use in an ultimate game. So yeah, I love ultimate, but I'm also not somebody who should run anymore. Um, so yeah, disc golf is kind of awesome. But again, it's the same thing. It's just me being in the woods in a quiet space, trying to perfect uh, something that is very silly. If we think about it, I, I I say on good days, I'm a good disc golfer. On bad days, I throw Frisbees in the woods. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's what, I, that's what I tell the rowers too. When, whenever people get really frustrated at rowing, like you realize we're like warrior monk practitioners of a long antiquated mode of water travel. Yeah. Like right. yeah. you mentioned the propeller, we're being, ever since propellers were invented, we've been pretty silly. Um, so yeah. 
at the end of the day, I love it, care about it, but I mean, come on, man. Yeah, <laughs> you know, my, there's, there's better my, ways to go. My husband asked me once, like, why, why do you sit in a boat and holding a stick to propel yourself backwards? Like that's how yeah, you boil exactly. down. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. that's what um, our at that on our Columbus episode, the Learn to Row coach, you know, and I teach a lot of Learn to Row, and she was like, "It's just very basic. There's a boat; it's shaped, yeah. you know, like a little missile, and you get yeah. to hold this twelve foot stick in your hand, and you got to do it all at the same time, and then it sure. works, and then it's like there's a forever journey that goes with that, right? Yeah, it's 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 beautiful, and I think it's beautiful because it is sort of silly, right? Like it it we choose, it's something I choose to care about. I don't have to care about rowing. Nobody in the world would ever care if I didn't show up to a boathouse ever again in my life. Like, I think somebody yet I, would care. Well, okay. Well, my mm-hmm. wife definitely, but, uh, but we choose to care about this. And I think that's a sort of dominion that a lot of us need in life is like something that isn't work or family that you have to attend to that you choose to attend to. And that that's like, well, like being a painter or a musician. Mm-hmm. Nobody made nobody nobody made me learn to play the banjo, but I like trying to get better on my banjo because why not? I get to choose that. It's it's I have dominion over it, and I think yeah. that's that's a that's probably a reason we love rowing a little bit. I'm glad that you mentioned musicians because actually just the other day I was watching this video. Uh, Dave Grohl uh, yeah. was uh, was being interviewed, and he was talking about learning to play the drums, mm-hmm. and that you know you start playing the drums and you're like on like a couple of little things. And then at a certain point, there becomes this disconnect between the brain and the hands. And I was yeah. like, that is exactly actually how I feel when I'm rowing some days where yeah. we might be rowing like a 5k and all of a sudden I don't know where the last 2k went. Like, right. I right. know that my blade was, you know, moving and my oar was going, my blade was going in the water, but there's this kind of film that goes in front of my eyes because the body just knows what to do and it becomes this feeling sensation my my banjo teacher geronimo uh that i used to take lessons from in texas he was an old vet and he told me hey man first we have to practice enough to be tight but then we have to practice enough to be loose Loose. (laughs) that's a a good coach ism right there for sure that leads me to wonder. So Tom, I have a question for you because I talk to a lot of rowers who talk about being nervous. I'm so nervous. I've got this race coming up. I'm about to get on the water. I'm so nervous. And I think certain bit of nerves might be helpful, but I don't get this anymore. What do you think about that feeling of nervousness when it comes to rowing? Um, so for some people that can be an addiction that can be unhealthy, mm-hmm. like anxiety mm-hmm. can be like its own, like, oh, I'm going to ride this adrenaline. Mm-hmm. So you'll see that. I see it a lot in the erg room where people build up so much anxiety and it's almost like they, they desire it. They, mm-hmm. they create it because it, it brings them close to the edge, right. That I'm feeling so much of that. But when I talk, when we talk about nerves, I always tell people start with the end start with the end in mind, right? So um, we often, I talk about rear view moments, right? So every aspect of my life at some point ends up in the rear view, right? Like wherever I've lived ends up in the rear view mirror. And when you look back, whenever I've driven away from a military unit for the last time or, you know, whatever, you think about like, so what, what in that was worth remembering? 
what was what in the review moment let's let me make the the picture the photo album and in those moments it's never the pain and suffering or the misery it's the people it's the beauty it's the and and so i talk about that when we do like bird testing and things like that i was like start with the end start with how proud you feel whenever you realize you've made an ounce of progress start with how good your body feels to be fully alive and afterwards how you you can hardly drive home because you're buzzing. Like, so we talk, I talk for anxiety. I talk about starting at the end, right? Start, start with the good outcome that you would want to picture. In fact, uh, this fall, I have half my team are seniors. We have 25 seniors on the squad. And I've talked to them about like, I want you every day to think about when I hand you that ore plaque at the spring banquet. And when you are handed that plaque and you picture what was worth remembering about this whole experience, let's, let's create another one of those memories today. Let's, let's, mm-hmm. let's start with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, I think people get, you're like you said, addicted to that feeling. And yeah. then it doesn't, it doesn't translate well when there are seven other people around that it's leaking out to, right? If you have mm-hmm. one person who's really, you know, kind of amped up. And I think there's a lot of people who as fully formed adults, especially the masters and fully formed adults, we come in with these expectations of ourselves. And we have very high expectations for ourselves. And, you know, one of the first things I ask people on their first day of rowing is like, who's a type A and who's a CEO, right? Yeah. Of their lives, not necessarily of a business, but who's, who's a CEO of their lives. And I yeah. always say, you know, I want you to think of today and every other day after this at rowing as your day off. Just give me two hours and just take right. the, take two hours off and just trust me. I got you. Like, let's go to work and, and we'll figure it out. But they, you could, you can see the relief of like, yeah. okay, I had a coxswain at head of the Charles one time, right. As we were launching says, I want you to take all the crap in your mind right now, about what could happen. that's not going to go well, or everything yeah. that we've dropped all the drama that's come into preparing for this and whatever. And I want you to put it in the backpack. I will take the backpack uh, uh-huh. and then I will heave it overboard <laughs> yeah. at the start line. Yeah. We can carry it all the way up to the start line, but then I'm going to, you know, right. Eve home right. and then we'll go down the course. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah I, I'm, I'm not as elo- eloquent when I, when I coach learn to row, especially with adults, I'm like, Hey, let's let ourselves suck at this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like let's, let's be, okay, let's be okay with sucking at something. And I, and yeah. I tell them like, and I know you've done this before because I'm going to, I always tell them, I'm like, I know something about you. You may not remember you sucked at walking. Like I swear <laughs> You were terrible. You had a big old right. head, little tiny legs. <laughs> you wandered around and banged into the coffee table. Let's go back to that mode and be okay with it. Oh, and, if, yeah. and, and we talk we talk about 1% better a lot. Like if you're just 1% better today than you were yesterday, hey man, three months from now, you'd be awesome, right? Yeah. Like, so let's let's accept 1% growth as plenty, more than plenty. That's yeah. an alarmingly fast growth rate in the course of a lifetime. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's such a journey, you know, and and it can be any day is going to be different. You know, Uh, we, one thing uh, I like to tell people is, you know, you might be technically perfect today, but mother nature might say, uh, -uh, not today. Today. No, you don't get to play that game today. Today you get to adapt and today you get to, you know, have a 17 mile an hour, you know, crosswind, take your oar out of your hand or whatever it is, you know, yeah. That's, awesome. that's, a, that's the beauty of a water sport. Again, an open water sport is the water has a vote and that's why it can never be science. It, it'll always be an art. What we do will always be artistic. 
because you know it's, it's the reason I always find it comical when people talk about course records in our sport and I'm like really tomorrow, like, tomorrow it doesn't like, matter yeah like the wind I don't know what the wind was that day or the barometric pressure the, you know mm-hmm. the current like just be in this moment you know and and, and be willing to adapt with it you know? so exactly. I, I was just thinking about when when I learned to row one thing that my novice coach said to me that stuck with me all these years is to row you have to be humble and so I go into every practice knowing that there's an opportunity for me to learn something even after 20 years so I was wondering Tom when you think back to you know high school Tom in Orlando (laughs) Florida your first season is there something that sticks with you that a coach said to you then yeah, you know, it was it was the it, it was kind of the opposite. This is what's weird, right? So I forever will love Rick Gotham, even though he doesn't coach rowing anymore. And he's a product of Mike Davenport. He was my head coach, right? I don't remember his voice. Mm-hmm. I don't remember him ever needing to speak, right? So what I first day of practice, he puts two ergs, the good old model B, at the base of a little slope, and the entire eighty person team has to watch as he sets us up against each other. Um, whoever Thanks. he thinks we're like likely to compete for seats and I ended up competing with a guy that would end up being an, uh, an NFL running back <laughs> huh. so it, the dude had legs and uh anyway the, the the point is he didn't say anything we just set the ergs and went right and the next day this is like the most validating growing moment I've personally had so the next day at his classroom he had posted the boat lineups on the door based on the erg scopes he was like and some other whatever secret soft coaches know that none of us will ever know, right? Um, so I legitimately thought I had a good shot at the 2V. So I looked for my name and I didn't see it. And then I quickly told myself I'd be at peace with the third four, the third eight. And I didn't see my name. So then I was really mad because mm-hmm. like, I, I know I'm too big to, I know I'm stronger than those guys in the fourth eight. Maybe he's trying to send me a message. Didn't see it. So of course I saw my name in the 1V, but I didn't know what eight seat meant. Um, uh-huh. So I had to ask somebody like, am I in the bow, man? Yeah. He's like, no, you're uh-huh. stroking the varsity eight. I was like, what? <laughs> so the coach never said a thing. He didn't explain it. He didn't like make some like, let's make peace with this argument. He just, he saw work. He rewarded work. And honestly, for me, like that's the best coaching moment in my life. It was the first time. Honestly, it's why I joined the Coast Guard was um, I fell in love with the idea of a meritocracy. I fell in love with the idea of a place where, who I am doesn't matter what I do does. And, and I wouldn't, I don't think I would have seen that without coach Gotham. I just don't know if I would have seen it. Mm-hmm. And you probably wouldn't have seen that without rowing. Like yeah. it, it was that sport and that scenario. And, you know, it's, it is meritocracy. It's just, you know, you put in the effort on every level, physical, emotional, yeah. connecting, oh. collaboration, you know, yeah. all of the pieces, right? Yeah. I mean, too, too quick. Isn't it funny sort of anecdotes that where rowing helps is my first job in the Coast Guard was the presidential honor guard. And I remember one time I was standing there for some, for, it was during President Clinton's administration. I was standing outside and it was snowing on us for like three hours and we didn't get, they forgot to let us move. Um, and I remember like I'd lost feeling up to my knees, but not quite my hips. Your hips is when you will fall. Um, I lost feeling in my legs up to my knees and in my head, I was laughing, trying not to smile because that'd be very bad because I was thinking to myself, it's not a 2k. 
Right? <laughs> <laughs> At least it's not a 2K test. Right. And then and then same thing happened to me in northern Maine. I'm doing like looking for boat, looking for a person in the water in like 15 foot seas in a 40 foot boat. And so we're outside and it's like, you know, whatever minus zero blowing snow in our faces and you can't feel your skin. And literally I'm giggling and the guys are laughing. What's what's going on, you know, chief? And I'm like, well. Just thinking it's not a 2K, man. <laughs> yeah. The 2K has been your measuring stick for everything right. else challenging for the rest yeah, yeah, of your yeah. life. Yeah, it's, why, okay. it's why I love watching when uh, University of Washington, Go Huskies, uh, the dogs, when they post their, their erg test videos, yeah. I'm always oh. just like, everything's easy after that. Oh. Everything. Yeah. And, and, and real, real, real briefly, my, my daughter was born on a power 10. So, oh, did you, did you cox your wife's birth? No, in fact, I was trying to like squeeze the, I was trying to stop the doctor from speaking, but the doctor heard my wife was a rower. Yeah. So literally in labor starts giving my wife coxin calls. No. Well, I'm holding the leg and I'm shaking my head like, no, 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 no. Because my wife was specific. She was like, I know she rowed. I don't want to hear anything about rowing. Right. Yeah, sure right. enough, I think I think my daughter was born around seven on a power ten. Nice. Um, That's the way to do it. You don't want it to be number twelve. Yeah. <laughs> that so, is wild. Which, I didn't even think about that. That could be a side gig for coxes. They could right? totally teach oh, yeah. midwives how to cox oh, yeah. a birth. They're like into well, yeah, yeah. breath in connection here, breathe breath, breath sustain this, right? Like, uh, uh, oh, well, we got to talk to Michelle now. Now we got to get yeah, Michelle's side of this whole story. Um, one thing that you and I have talked a bit about in the past is this idea of, of safety and preparedness. And yeah. I know you were talking a bit about um, your work uh, in the Coast Guard. Yeah. And um, could you tell us a little bit about this uh, coaching conference that's coming up in December? I think you said you're going to be presenting there. Yes. Yeah, I'm teaching uh, risk management and safety plan development. You know, uh, pretty much anything, anything people want to ask me about boating safety. So when I retired from the Coast Guard, I was pretty happy to move on. You know, I was like, I've done what I came to do. I'm ready for the next chapter. And then the more I'm around rowing, the more I see some gaps uh, in how we approach safety and risk management. Um, and it's, I don't think it's anyone's fault. It's just we aren't a bunch of commercial mariners. We're, we're rowers. And so having now worked on in search and rescue for, you know, a whole career and then come back to rowing. What I'm trying to do is develop tools to help coaches and administrators, you know, avoid the next victim. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that, right? Like is, you know, giving them some simple tools to look at a situation and figure out the best course of action to make everyone come home safe. So I'm teaching, I got asked to present at the Jim Buckaloo coaches conference in Augusta, uh, Georgia. Um, by Brad Holdren, who's organizing everything, and um, great folks. And uh, so I'm, I've put together some presentations. I'm going to be going down there teaching. And I've been talking to Chris Chase about this topic as well and, and might be doing, putting some help and work with, with him at a conference this next summer as well. And but so is I'm, this, I'm sorry, is this about um, coaches being safe in their own launch boats, or is this about uh, rower rescues or is this about um, proper dress or a little bit of both right like so how do you take the whatever the task at hand is right if it's running a practice or a regatta how do you figure out where your largest risks are going to be 
both in terms of severity and probability, right? Like what's likely to happen? Okay, uh, how, and then how do you mitigate that? How do you spread out that risk so that, you know, get the right resources, get the right tools in place so that you aren't just taking chances. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's okay to take risks. It's not acceptable to take chances. And um, so a lot of it is developing simple, simple tools that coaches and administrators can use in any scenario to go, okay, how do I, you know, how do I come home without regret? Right. And the other one I'm, I've been working on is mishap analysis. We don't, in the Coast Guard, anytime somebody gets hurt, anytime a boat gets destroyed, we have mandatory reporting requirements of, so, that, so that anyone in the Coast Guard can say, hey, the weather looks like this. Do we have any mishaps when the weather was like this? We don't do that in rowing. We, mm. we, have, this, we have this weird, not, not too weird, but um, we're so afraid of embarrassing people or telling a sad story that we also don't learn from our mistakes very well. So the mishaps we have that I see in rowing keep repeating in part because we don't deal with it. Like to me, and, and this is sound dramatic, but it's just my career. The best way to honor the dead is to take the lesson from their death and never let it happen to someone else. And if mm-hmm. we don't do that, it's actually disrespectful. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to work on a way to simply help our sport avoid the next victim. So I'd be interested to see if you knew about the website that lists out uh, rowing tragedies. Yeah, Mark. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Row Safe USA, I've become involved with. We're looking at partnering Mm -hmm. on creating some products. That that website is fantastic. And we were talking, you know, we were talking this week, actually, (laughs) about the road ahead between the two of us, because I, you know, I don't see a time when I won't be teaching rowing safety, you know, boating safety, just based on my previous career, it would be, um, just, it wouldn't be right for me not to step up in this area. Sure. So he and I have been talking about how to turn his website from more of a collection point that you can read, which I, I told him, you know, this, this website is amazing at waving the flag. It's saying there's something out here that needs to be done. Um, and what I'm going to hope to work with him on is creating tools to say, here's something you can do. So it's a more inclusive, like, I want to bring people into the conversation more than try and get them to feel scared enough to do something. It's more like, Hey, what, here's something that like uh, one of the ones we're working on is a quick response card uh, packet, right? So if you're a rowing coach, put this laminated three by five, mm-hmm. you know, six cards in your, in your toolkit mm-hmm. so that if you do have a swamped boat, you don't skip a step or you know you know just some quick response stuff because i think it shocks me how much we expect of our own coaches you have to be a Mm -hmm. technical expert a motivator a communicator a commercial mariner a rescue boat operator i think Mm -hmm. that's too much to ask especially considering the pay um i think that's a lot to ask people so i want to find tools to make that easier and, and better for for coaches and administrators yeah, I was just rereading the story of uh, the kippy kit, like why we have the kippy kit in yep. the boats um, and the kippy story. And I just sure. think, you know, it got mentioned. There was a bunch of fire lit. They made the kit. Now it's just sort of every day. Yeah. Everybody has one. Yeah. It's no joke. You need to have your CPR training. It's no joke that you need to have first aid right. training. It's no joke that you need to have hypothermia training, right. you know, and, and be able to read the one thing, you know, commercial Mariner, you said, but like being able to read weather maps and having three different yeah. apps on your phone, like, you know, one of my former high school athletes here, 
Um, he was hired when he was a sophomore at Texas A&M to become the head coach of their club team. Right. So he's a sophomore rower. He's now got a staff of three coaches and he's coaching a t- club team. Where can he go to read about the, what happened that day so that he can gain experience without having to go through it the bad way? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, why can't that young coach log in somewhere and say, what were the club policies? What was the boat classification? What was the experience of the people involved? Right. What was the coaching situation? What was the weather specifically so that he can learn without having to make the mistakes himself? And that's, that's what I'm hoping to see our sport develop in is more of a, a, a kind of an open book on how we can learn the lessons that, that would help a lot when you're a young coach. Okay. okay. Tara, do you think it's time? For yeah, let's do rapid fire. Rapid fire. Rapid fire. Okay. Now in I'm nervous. Two. Wasn't nervous till now. All right. Okay. All right. So we're going to ask you some questions. We just need a quick answer. Okay. Uh, there's six questions here. Okay. Sweep or skull? Oh, skull. Yep, skull. That's okay. now that we don't have lightweights anymore, more and more sculling. Mm. Yep. If Williamsburg Boat Club had a mascot, what do you think that mascot would be? A Viking chicken. Uh, okay, uh, bow seat, stroke seat, or engine room? Oh, you're killing me. Uh, at this point in my life, engine room. Yeah. All right. For rowing, salt water or fresh water? Fresh water. Not a question. Okay. I have to fix boats. <laughs> yeah. If you're the boat maintenance person, yeah. absolutely. Fresh water. Uh, sprint race or head race? Sprint. Favorite coxswain command to give or receive? Uh, this is a family friendly show. Right? No, it doesn't have to be. Doesn't have okay. to be. <laughs> we are not under FCC regulations whatsoever. We could put that little I, E on our show. Well, I, I dream of hearing what Mary Whipple said in the Rio games when she told them halfway through, you are the U S women's eight. I would love that if one of my coxswains were to say, you are the Williamsburg boat club varsity eight, that they would know that it signified that they had competed hard and had earned the right to know they were going to win that day. Uh, are you a uni man or a tank and trowel? Uh, better than that. I'm a Henley and trowel man. Ooh, school. Yeah. Nice. And last question, most important, coffee before or after a row? Before. Yeah. It, everything starts with coffee. I totally thought you were going to be like, I don't need coffee. I wake up like this. (laughs) Again, my wife is literally like a four cups before going to her job as a nurse supervisor at a big hospital. And so we have to share cups before anything else meaningful can happen in life every day. This might actually make a little bit of sense as to why you're such a talker, Tom. I think (laughs) the caffeine jolt. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this has been great. Thanks so much for Man, doing this, Tom. What a lot of fun. Thank you so much, guys. It's a, it's a real, I, I feel privileged to get invited to talk to you guys. This has been wonderful. Have a good afternoon, and I, we'll talk with you soon. Bye, Take Tom. Care. All right, see you, Tom. See ya. To see photos of Tom and Williamsburg Boat Club and get links to the people, clubs, and events mentioned in this episode, check out our show notes on our website. 
Coming up on our next episode, we're headed to California to get to know East Bay Rowing Club, home to community rowing on the Oakland Estuary. EBRC caught our attention when they announced a brand new regatta, Boats Without Barriers, a response to U.S. rowing holding Masters Nationals in Florida, a state where not all are welcome. This episode is part of our semi-regular Club Spotlight series and will be available August 19th. Steady State Podcast celebrates real-life experience from launch to cockseat at every level. Search the archive at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast dash topics or listen on your favorite podcast app. Hey, Tara, I think some listeners might not know that Steady State is more than a podcast. Yeah, we should definitely tell them that we've got virtual events happening every week that bring together the rowing community from across the country and around the world. Yeah, I really look forward to Friday mornings when we get together for coffee chat. It's live online and we talk about rowing, racing and technique, but we also deep dive into things like inclusion and leadership. We hope you'll join us Friday mornings at eight o'clock West, 11 o'clock East live on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. Grab your favorite mug and add your voice to the conversation. To find out more about any of our events, visit steadystatenetwork.com slash calendar. Steady State Podcast is a production of Steady State Network, aka Tara Morgan and Rachel Friedman. This episode was written and produced by Tara and Rachel. It was edited by Tara with a little bit of help from me. Rachel also manages our website and social media. And the one thing we didn't do is our theme music, which is provided by Free Harmonic Orchestra. Between us, we have 33 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experiences, and we run successful rowing-related enterprises. Tara is the founder of Seize the Oar Foundation, which champions inclusion in the sport of rowing through team training, outreach, and thought leadership. And Rachel is the founder of RowSource, designing unique rowing gear for individuals, clubs, and events. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Seize the Oar and RowSource. Follow Steady State Network on Facebook and Instagram at Steady State Network and on Twitter at Steady State Row. And visit SteadyStateNetwork.com to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. In two, way enough, that's one, two, way enough. Did you make a note about Coffee Chat? Uh, just about the rowers pay as paying customers. I also wanted you to add banana bread. Just put banana bread. I'm not sure <laughs> why. <laughs> writing that down here. Just banana bread. Banana bread. And put it in all caps and highlight it and circle it because it's a really good story. Yum. Okay. Banana bread. Banana bread.